podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. In this episode, we review the Azerbaijan sprint qualifying shootout race, not race. (laughs) And I'm joined by... Your friend and mine, James Baldwin. How are you doing? Yes, sprint day in Baku. What an absolute waste of everybody's time. Uh, good to be here. What is the point? Why are we doing it? Can I bring free practice two and three back? Thank you so much. I have so many questions. I have so many questions just around the format and the benefit of it and all of those things. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I will say in the, um, I suppose, the pros camp um, of of the sprint format is that I did love the intro. They really worked with that. They had that amazing um, inspirational music and they're going, there's strategy to every sprint and you can go just go ballistic the whole way and I just about laced up my sneakers and just started running around the house in a sprint. It, I loved the intro. They did, something, did well with that. Um, but the real hero of the day is not that, James. It's the cameraman collecting Lewis's tear-off. He had his his moment in the spotlight. Yes, yeah, always good when a driver is heavily gesticulating at you towards <laughs> something to do with the car. And you also have a producer, I imagine a television producer, shouting at you in your ear. Uh, and he's managed to process all of that information and come out the other side and be the hero of Lewis Hamilton, who, what? I mean, where did he come I don't know, somewhere at some point on the grid, seventh. So, I mean, fantastic for him. Good camera work by him. Um, it's always nice to see, I think, you know, the fact that probably a lot of these people, and um, I imagine Jean is one of those people who have been around the sport for quite some time and very trusted amongst a lot of these drivers and teams. And so he can be relied to go up to the car and not, you know, punt a, a hole in the side pod like um, <laughs> maybe a driver to another driver. <laughs> I just love how this is such a, you know, high-tech, incredible sport, you know, just this sea of development and you've still got this really basic problem of tear-offs and what to do with them but also the fact that you can, again, have this highly polished situation and you still end up with someone with a giant camera on their shoulder being kind of hollowed over to a car. So I like little moments of like that that to just keep it really real. I don't know, I think it's always something interesting. Um, when you get something a bit off script like that on the weekend, it always makes me smile. Let's get started and have a quick chat about qualifying. So it's obviously a bit of a different format because it is the sprint qualifying session. So talking about tyres, which were a bit of a topic of the day, we have to have two mediums. So for the, well, only use mediums for the first two sessions, sorry, and then softs for the third. So tyre strategy kind of got taken out of the team's hands in a lot of ways and the softs also have to be new for that third session. So whilst they're not playing with tyre strategy here as much, across the course of the weekend it does become very important as Lando and Yuki both learned because they could not take part regardless of their qualifying position in that third session because neither of them had any new softs yet. So what are your thoughts just already on this part of the weekend with these new regulations or or rules? The only thing that I can say about sprint qualifying SQ. Firstly, when I see SQ1, I think of a flight, a Singapore Airlines flight. <laughs> uh, secondly, it's nice that it's earlier. So at 6 p.m. or 6.30, rather, I'm watching qualifying rather than at, you know, 11 o'clock at night. But And Campy and I were talking about this uh, sort of offline in a, in a message chat that it, it didn't, didn't feel 
any different to what we saw on Friday. It was just like a copy and paste of pretty much what happened. And yes, some accidents happened and, uh, you know, issues like Logan Sargent punting itself into the wall. I mean, it's these guys are rookies as well. So I, I sort of holding that with not too much of a, of a weight, mainly because this, this circuit seems to be exceptionally difficult, especially the sun. The sun mm. coming through that old old town section with the castles, like ah, the sun is only shining on one part of the track, and that's at the, <laughs> the thinnest part of the track as well. Um, but in terms of qualifying sessions, and then not having you know, Norris, for example, not being able to get through or to do anything in Q3, what a waste! I just don't, I don't understand. You know, put all that effort in and get all the data, sure. And yes, we love talking about data, the full Roman Grosjean style of all of this stuff, and then get to the the point and. Only nine cars can go around in in SQ3. It feels like the rest, I don't don't know. I I think they need to adjust that in terms of tyre allocation over the the rest of the weekend. I know it's about, you know, making sure that these cars or the teams use certain allocations that are given to them. Uh, But as we've seen actually in the, the sprint itself, the softs are rubbish and everyone wanted to burn through them as quickly as possible to not use them in the main event on Sunday anyway. Well, they were burning themselves, as Valtteri Bottas said. He's like, my tyres are melting. So, you know, and that was for, for Lando, that was a gamble that they kind of took. They thought those those tyres were going to perform better than they did. But quickly moving through qualifying, as you mentioned, when it, with comes up a couple of the rookies, we had Nick DeVries and Oscar Piastri both having moments um, in Q1, although I think there was a little bit of learning happening there because we did have signs who had used that exit kind of escape road and we then had Nick DeVries doing the same today when he had a moment at turn three. Piastri did the same. So I think it was it would have been a really, really difficult weekend for those who hadn't done this track before. Um, and it does seem like there was a lot of people struggling in similar areas. So it was interesting to see how they all dealt with that. And, of course, we then had Logan Sargent into the wall. Unfortunately, couldn't handle that situation. And it was really interesting, right? Like he kind of said, oh, the, the Ferraris were in the middle of the road. It's like, well, they weren't and they were in front of you and doing what they could to be off to the side. And I wonder if that's a bit of a another learning moment for a rookie whereby splitting your attention really hard. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, we've had three weeks since the last Grand Prix. Baku is not an easy circuit to get your head around and you have one free practice session, which is the only time that you have to not have to go around in anger in this circuit. And quite clearly, it's just not enough and not enough for people who haven't ever driven this circuit before. I mean, Oscar Piastri was also bloody sick for most Mm. of the weekend. And so he hasn't had a lot of sleep. He's feeling pretty ill and he's trying to get all of this stuff, which only goes to prove, I think, his, I mean, we'll talk about the sprint in in a little bit, but he's my kind of MVP, I suppose, for for that sprint session because he's so sick. He managed to do so much, so many good things. Um, in a car that seems to be, although there's some upgrades that have been brought, seem pretty, pretty rubbish. But I think it also then again highlights maybe this new format is fine, but not when these drivers haven't been in the car um, for the last three weeks, do one practice session and then jump in straight into a race qualifying and then another qualifying and then an actual race. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a shame to see those sorts of incidents happen. And I think Nick DeVries got a lot of hate for, mm. for what he did. Um, which I don't think is warranted, to be perfectly honest, for those reasons. Because, again, you know, the guy hasn't had the opportunity to drive this car for a couple of weeks. Uh, Australia versus Baku, completely different. And then first time in anger after a little bit of practice. And, yeah, no wonder he puts it in the wall. And, you know, yeah, okay, he's learned and put it into that um, escape road 
into the uh, Daniel and Daniel escape <laughs> road where you don't need reversing cameras or mirrors. You just reverse, put it straight yeah. into R, put it in M-G-U-R and off you go. Well, it is, like you said, in terms of just that free practice session no longer being there, which I think, again, for those drivers who are not as familiar with this track and after the break would have been really important. But it was actually quite interesting listening to, I haven't done, didn't get a chance to listen to a lot of the kind of post-race interviews and things, but a, a couple of the things I did pick up on was a lot of the teams who were not up the top were talking about it as a practice session. Like they were saying, yeah, it was an interesting session. It was, um, you know, good for data. It was, and it just seemed like anybody who was not um, kind of vying for basically a podium were treating it as data gathering for the next day, which tells you a lot about the meaning that the teams and the drivers are put applying to it and how they see it fitting into their weekend in terms of saying, okay, maybe we're fine with this format, but don't take any risks and you're ju- just gathering data. It's a slightly longer run, sure, but this is our only opportunity opportunity to really learn what the track is, how it's going to behave. Um, so just very different language coming from the different teams following the session, which I thought was really interesting. So after we had Q1 ended with a red flag, we got a very angry Yuki at that point because obviously that threw his uh, his last lap out. We then move into Q2, lots of yellow flags. This was a yellow flag central, just flags everywhere. Very great uh, flag waving technique I think was mentioned by a few people. Indeed, it did look <laughs> very good. They play, certainly got plenty of practice in this session anyway. So we had Hulk who had um, I think a lockup as well and signs and got very obviously uh, kind of stuck as a result of other yellows, he had to use. A, it was just a bit of a mess, don't you think? In Q two, just a little bit too drama, too much drama for my liking. I think the biggest thing for Q two for me, and sort of more widely for the race weekend, is Aston Martin's uh, misfunctioning DRS system. And I don't know. I mean, it is clearly such a complicated system. The fact that they know about it, they've been allowed to replace the rear flap of the rear wing, the top one in Park Ferme conditions, the FIA allowed that, uh, and yet it still wasn't working is mind-boggling to me out of all of the understandings and the data and all of the systems on the car that generally work pretty well all of the time for most teams. This seems to be very bizarre. But what I think Q2 showed for me is just how much of a bloody king Fernando Alonso (laughs) is to be able to tow his teammate around, go, no DRS, no problems. It doesn't matter. You can have my, just get a jump in, mate. Come on, Lance, (laughs) jump in, jump in behind me. I'll just bloody do it for you. And he did, uh, and it was beautiful to see. And I think uh, that's kind of the bigger concern for me, obviously for my fantasy team because I have both Aston Martin drivers and the team in there. I made the mistake of changing out actually uh, Yuki oh, no Tsunoda for uh, Joe Guan Yu because I needed to have a different team to campy because otherwise we've got the same team and I can't had no be good having that time with that. But I think that's <laughs> I think that was the biggest learning for me uh, at a Q2 is just how you know problems like this can really affect the overall course of the weekend. And as a result, I think Aston Martin look on the back foot and have done um, into the sprint as well. Yeah, he definitely got some gold stars from Daddy Stroll for for making sure that he was safe going into the final session. The other team which was a bit cause for concern um, for me was McLaren. Um, when they know going into qualifying that 
Norris couldn't partake in the third session, why would they not just then go, you know, full in on making sure that Piastri got a really great start and tried to get as many, could get as many points for the team as possible? Why do you think they didn't make more of an effort for that, James? I don't know. And I think, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we we hardly know a lot of what's going on within teams, do we, from being on this side mm. uh, of the television screen or the camera or the circuit or wherever you happen to be watching. Uh, but it, it seems like still they're still preferencing Lando over Oscar in, in every way. Part of me thinks that that's fair enough. I mean, Lando's been in that team now for a significant period of time. He is their number one driver. There, there is no doubt of that, especially after the last couple of years. Um, with with Daniel and that team too. But I wonder just, you know, how much Oscar is able to push back against that kind of stuff or if he's still in that stage of going, you know what, I'm happy to be here, happy to be in Formula One. Um, I'm not feeling all that well right now, so I actually don't really (laughs) mind just being able to have even less pressure than than normal uh, and to be hanging around towards the back. And I think if that's the case, then, then fair enough because, again, what all it does is I think it gives uh, Oscar an opportunity to prove himself to the team and to everyone else watching um, and maybe proving himself to the Ferrari board because there doesn't... I don't think Carlos Sainz is long in Ferrari uh, and I think they'll be looking for a replacement for him sooner rather than later. And if I'm Ferrari, Oscar Piastri extracting the amount of pace out of that car as we know as because of... Christian Horner's comments about Daniel Ricciardo driving McLaren last year and everyone's now so aware, I suppose, more aware probably than they were last year about how hard it is for Oscar to come into that team and to get the performances that he's done so far is a good thing. Uh, and although he will never win a championship with Ferrari because champ- Ferrari will never win a championship <laughs> ever again, he'll at least be towards the front of the grid, which would be a good thing for him. So I think it's it's only, it's, I mean, we love having conjecture. That's what this whole, the point of this whole <laughs> podcast is. But I, I'm just not sure there's any like negative things going on in McLaren, specifically in this weekend for all of the reasons that I mentioned. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think it's just, I suppose, where you go, we have this information. Like we know that Lance can't, not Lance, sorry, Norris can't, um, you know, race in that final session. Surely you just back the one who can. Like it's a bit of a kind of, I don't know, feels a bit simpler to me perhaps. Not so much there'd be anything negative going on as much as you're racing, you're not. Off you go. Anyway, um, yeah, interesting to see how they're approaching it though for sure. Moving into Q3, much less drama. Um, And I think that's a good thing by that point of this type of, you know, weekend or any weekend really, but you just want to kind of see teams getting some clean laps in um, and understanding how they're, taking on the track, seeing how it's evolving as well. It actually looked like they were in going slow motion for a bit there as they were all trying to keep their tyres a bit cooler because obviously by now we've switched to the softs and they're all trying to keep the tyres really cool and they're going slow, slowly. Apparently the timing screen um, said they'd actually stopped. They were going so slowly, which kind of reminds me of when like my Garmin like buzzes at me and I'm walking, like I'm, I'm moving and it's like it buzzes at me and tells me to move when I'm actually doing something. But that is all, of course, until Charles put it in the wall, um, still managed to maintain pole, which actually really stuffed it up for signs though. And like you said, he's not going to want to take that much more, that many more moments like this from Ferrari, I don't think. Seems odd that you're wearing a GPS on uh, any part of your body, to be honest. Um, I assume that's what it is, not being a runner or have ever <laughs> run a triathlon or any kind of anything, marathon. 
Um, I assume that's only for people who do that. Uh, anyway, good that GPS is still working, I suppose, even in Cayman Islands. Yeah, it's just such a shame for Carlos. But again, I mean, you know, he hasn't had a great weekend. He, to be honest, he hasn't had a great couple of um, races. And we've had this conversation where I, st- I feel so sorry for him because I still think he is such a brilliant driver. But it is now very much for, for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc is the number one driver. There is no shadow of a doubt there. We know that Fred has had that driver team principal relationship with Charles before. And so here we are. And and I think it's exciting for Charles to have maybe some lift behind him, but then to do the full Monaco situation of crashing into the wall and still getting P1, um, at least he's consistent, I suppose. <laughs> It was a, there was a little bit of deja vu going on there. Um, I certainly felt that as well. And then we went racing on to the sprint race. So sprint race, 17 laps, 101.9 kilometres. There's no mandatory pit stops for this, which is obviously a big difference in comparison to full race distance. Um, and we only have points for positions one to eight, which does beg the question for many people what the point is for those um, teams who are at the back. In terms of just going through a bit of a quick team-by-team analysis as he would for a usual race, I've got uh, old mate AlphaTauri up the back here. So we had Nick DeVries in 14th. Um, He did have some good battles with Ocon at some point um, and made up a few places having started in 18th, which was decent enough. He's had a pretty rough start to the season. And obviously Yuki Tsunoda, which was something new we haven't seen before, a tyre just trundling down the track, James. Oh, you just, that whole situation was just bloody ridiculous. I'm not sure we ever found out what happened to cause him to have that issue uh, to, to be offline so far that he flew into the wall. Maybe he was distracted by something on the steering wheel or momentarily lost, um, you know, concentration of where he was actually going, which is not <laughs> such a good thing for a Formula One driver. But I think my favourite part about that whole thing was the chief mechanic of AlphaTauri um, getting in there and giving the double thumbs up. Yes, everything is fine. Of course, Franz. <laughs> nothing um, was fine. <laughs> clearly, nothing was fine. Clearly, he's never been in a position where he's had to prove his knowledge before or something. I mean, it's hard to tell. I, I say that in jest. It is very hard to tell, I'm sure, what kind of damage would happen. But uh, I think a bit ridiculous that uh, Yuki didn't pull into the many, many many, many, many options that he had to get the car off of the track. Um, Although maybe he was thinking if the car is still going, maybe they won't do what they did in the Lance Stroll situation in uh, Jeddah. If he's pulled basically into the grandstand, he's in one of the, you know, he's in seat 17A and they still have a bloody red flag for the whole thing. So maybe he was (laughs) trying to do a favour for everyone and no trust in the stewards to do the right thing, which absolutely fair enough to believe in as well. But that whole situation seemed very, very bizarre. Um, it was good to see, I suppose, the deployment of the VSC. But again, again it went from VSC straight, you know, into SC after double waved yellows. It felt like a long time. I was shocked, though, Freya, that we had no red flag through this whole session. Maybe there is hope for the race today that we don't have any red flags, although I'm not, I'm not going to bet anything on that. Well, now you've said it, James, you, you know that there's going to be. So thank you for that. Uh, Don't say the R word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, well, the FII did see that uh, double thumbs up and they said, I see your thumbs up and I raise you a $5,000 euro fine for sending that car out anyway. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Two and a half thousand a thumb. Yeah, exactly. And they did acknowledge, to be fair, they did say, look, we understand that you can't see everything um, from a visual inspection of the car and that's why the fine is not more significant. Um, but, yeah, seeing that car just crabbing along, which where you know when a car is moving like that, the driver has no control over its steering. Um, who knows where it could have ended up. We then move into, I've put Alpine uh, up next, James. We had Gasly in 13th. He made up four places. I thought it was a decent effort. Again, similarly to DeVries, not an awesome race, but made up some positions. And Ocon in 18th. Not a great weekend for them so far. Oh, do you know what? I just don't care about this team anymore. <laughs> I've I got to be quite honest. Like I see I see this. Okay, Campy. <laughs> which may, well, yeah, I was going to say maybe Campy's rubbing off on me. Um, I don't ever sit that close to him for that to happen Concerning for obvious reasons. Concerning thought for your proximity. Yeah, you know, not wrong. I just, I just don't care. I honestly, It just is one of those things for me at the, at the moment and I'm not sure why but I'm just not excited by the driver lineup anymore. You know, the the issues that they suffered um, in FP1 with Gasly is, is something. I, Ocon just doesn't impress me anymore. Um, and watching them, you know, f- sort of squabble down towards the back, I'm very glad Daniel Ricciardo didn't go there. Um, the car doesn't seem to be as strong as what it should be, as certainly the performances are. So maybe Campy was right in terms of where he placed Pierre Gasly because this is the first time in a long time this team hasn't had an outstanding driver compared like alongside an average driver. Um, and maybe this is just the the indicator that Thomas J. Camp, and I know he's going to listen to this, which is, just kills me to say, but maybe he is starting to be that prophecy is starting to become correct. See yourself out, mate. He's not got a – like he's only – just started with a new team he will still be obviously figuring the car out and we gave that same um I suppose allowance to other people who are joining new teams as well and they've just had a terrible start to the season I don't think it's down to the driver I think who whoever is in that car is the way it is at the moment is not necessarily going to get that much out of it um but we'll see as we get more races across different types of tracks as well as to whether or not then if they can bring any upgrades to the car too. But I agree with you that um, that I'm pleased Ricardo didn't go there. I think that's one of the better decisions that he's that he's made. Not necessarily that he had a choice to go there, but uh, pleased that that is not a, wasn't an outcome. Next up, we've got the Cherry Ripes, which is Alfa Romeo. Um, we've got Bottas and Joe. Bottas with his melting softs um, and Joe, who finished in 12th. Um, he had a bit of a nice overtake on the Hulk at one point, I think, but otherwise I didn't have that many notes. It looked like they were struggling in particular for, for Bottas today. Yeah, it seems like Alfa Romeo Sauber just haven't quite got it where they want it yet. And I feel like this is something that's happened to Sauber more often than not. They're potentially, you know, waiting for this new regulation 2026 Audi kind of thing to really come to the floor. But, I mean, you've, you've had the departure of the CEO and team principal to Ferrari, the bringing in of a new CEO from McLaren uh, and, you know, and a new team principal that is the team representative really, not more than anything else. So they're probably still working out in the same way if we're giving allowances to Gasly for, for the team, maybe from a team point of view, um, we can we can give that for, for Alfa Romeo. But it just, it's disappointing because we remember 
how good they were last year and some of those outstanding performances, it has to be said, by both Joe and Valtteri. Uh, and because I'm a big supporter of Valtteri this year, I hate to see him so far down yeah. the crowd. It's like going from Daniel being so far down the back of the grid to the Valtteri. It's like, come on, come on, anyone that I support, get towards the front. Exactly. That's the frustrating thing is that we said, all right, let's look at the next uh, the next Australian on the on the list who you like in VB and it's still struggle straight from a supporter's perspective. So we'll see what happens there. I think it's, look, we've always said it, we love seeing him being a bit more relaxed and happy and he's obviously able to pour some attention into some other things that bring him joy, which is awesome. Um, but we'll, and, he, and he's been asked the question because there has been that criticism of, you know, between the extra cycling commitments now and your gin line and the, you know, um, BB stuff and everything, you know, is that distracting you? And he basically just said, absolutely not. I've never been happier. And that allows me to focus more clearly when I need to, because I'm not under stress the rest of the time. So yeah, interesting, but disappointing as well. Moving on, we've got Haas. So we had Hulkenberg in 15th and Kevin Magnussen in 11th. We had an intra-team overtake here. Um, it was around about lap 12 um, where we saw them do an old switcheroo. Um, surprising result for you this weekend, James, or not? I mean, Haas seem to be fairly in the middle most of the time. So you can't really get more in the middle than around 10th and 11th, which is which is what happened for K-Mag. I think the issue that we've seen for Hulkenberg is, and Gunther mentioned it, is graining on the tyres mm. for him and not graining on the tyres for Magnussen. So it'll be interesting to understand, I suppose, from a team point of view, what's happening there. But I think overall this year, the return of Nico Hulkenberg, probably ha- we haven't really spoken a lot about it on this podcast. And certainly I think in, in other news outlets too, it's kind of not been the main story. But it does seem to me that Hulk has a stronger performance more often than Kevin Magnussen. And I think from from that point of view, they're very good together. Uh, you know, there's been no uh, no paddock shouting at each other. I suppose <laughs> yes. that happens when you're in the same team and you have um, you, you have Gunther as a team principal. Uh, but I think otherwise Haas should be fairly okay with what's going on right now. Of course, they'll be wanting more points and, you know, th- there is no point past eights for, for this for this session. So I think for, for them for this weekend, they'll be wanting to figure out for tomorrow, I should say, or today, depending on where you're listening, um, where they can actually make up a lot of these spots. But otherwise, it seems like both of them have confidence in the car. It's just a tyre issue, I suppose, for, for Hulkenberg. And if they can figure that out, then they should be fairly okay in this. And I think that overtake that we spoke about with Joe earlier is a result of those tyres sort of falling apart with, with Hulkenberg. But you know, I think Haas, again, fairly in the mid-pack, uh, and, which is better than where they've been for many years. So I think they'll, they'll still take that as a win. And I think they've got what they wanted already from bringing Hulken back in that they said they wanted someone experienced. They want somebody who has that understanding of, of different tracks. They're, you know, done with rookies. Um, and I think they are seeing that experience come to the team. And as you said, he's already outperforming a teammate who, while hasn't been with the team himself for very long, um, is already right up there. So I think they would be pretty happy with that decision in terms of meeting their goals um, by bringing him back. Next, we've got McLaren. So we had Piastri in 10th and Norris in 17th, which was an interesting one. So when we had uh, Piastri, Lap nine got in front of Norris and I think I could actually hear cheering in the Discord. Um, Not a format you can usually have audio, but I'm pretty sure it was there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, the Discord. I do love it. I do also love, uh, I didn't watch this live. I caught up 
this morning. I, I love going back through after the race is finished um, and, well, whatever session is finished and reading through all of the commentary. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it is absolutely one of my favourite things. Look, again, I think we – and I spoke a little bit about Piastri earlier uh, for, for what McLaren are doing. I think it's great for, for Oscar. He's really settling in um, to a rhythm. Considering he's been sick for most of the weekend, as I previously said, I think it's a, it's a good result. I mean, at the end of the day, they were on different strategies, it seemed, anyway. Mm. Um, and Lando having to pit, although there was no mandatory pit stops, um, was absolutely going to stuff his race up. So it's, one, it's interesting, isn't it? For, for us, I suppose, in Australia – We've actually seen less, or maybe from a Formula 1 point of view, I've seen less McLaren content than I ever have, even though they're mm. still an Australian driver. And I think that shows the difference between um, what Oscar brings in terms of, inverted commas, character or, or a different type of character to Daniel Ricciardo to the team for their social media and for their content. Uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because at the end of the day, they don't need to be worrying about that and making cool content. They need to be making the bloody car faster. Um, I'm sure they'll make great Instagram reels in the wind tunnel whenever that's built. Yeah. Uh, but at, at least they brought upgrades to, to the car for this weekend and it shows that they're able to do it. For Oscar, he was keeping in touch, wasn't he, on that sort of backpack there with, uh, I think it was one of the Alpines and um, the Haas and Alpha Tauri of, of Alpha Tauri of Nick DeVries. So mm. it's good. He was able to follow and he was able to keep in touch. And I think, again, this is, this is all we can ask for for that. For, for Lando, I mean, again, who knows? what the hell he's thinking apart from being exceptionally disappointed in the performance of the car probably more often than not. Um, but you, you just don't know. You sign long contracts. It's it's hard to really get to grips with what the future is going to be. And when you have the king of spin selling you the dream, um, it, you know, in Zach Brown, it's it's hard to say no to that as we've seen with with plenty of drivers. So, yeah, probably uh, they'll be happy to move on from from that session and see what's actually achievable in the race today. Yeah, for sure. And Lando's talked about that as well when people have asked him kind of saying like, why wouldn't you start, you know, seeing what you can do in times of getting out of your contract when the car just doesn't seem to be performing. And he's basically just said, look, I think that's a massive oversimplification as to what my options are and how I feel about the team. And it certainly from the outside does seem that he, you know, he's he's all in on trying to be there when the performance comes and kind of having the trust that they're doing the right thing, I think we're seeing more and more of his uncertainty in moments about whether or not that's actually going to happen. But um, I think the bigger risk for for Norris is that by the time he leaves McLaren, he's no longer the hot property that he is now and a year ago and the interest in him dies down a bit um, at that point because, of course, you know, we have the next set of rookies that come through. This is the thing is that you do constantly have um, these individuals kind of either in the, in the on the sidelines or their reserve drivers, whatever it might be, so that people are interested to, to see how they go. So I think that's the bigger risk for him in, that in you know, whenever it is, 2027, that he gets out of his contract. Um that he's not quite as exciting as he is at the moment or, or last year potentially. Moving on, we've got Williams. So we had Sargent, unfortunately, was a DNF um, or actually not a DNF, it was DNS. He never, didn't actually start the, the sprint race and Albon in ninth position. Albon, I thought, had a really strong showing this weekend. Um, he had an exciting um, qualifying and it was I was almost a bit disappointed not to see them a little bit higher up um, today. I was hopeful that he might he might catch Stroll in eighth, but um, that wasn't a long-lived hope. <laughs> but overall, I think for for Albon, like I said, 
it's really solid showing already this weekend. Um, Sergeant, he's just going to be kicking himself, surely. Alex Albon belongs in the sport, and I think performances like this really show that. And I, you know, at the end of the day, he is the lead team lead driver in that team in Williams and performances like this and data like this is really good for this team because they'd be silly to not design the car around Alex Albon and his driving style. Um, And we know, although he didn't have the best of showings at Red Bull Racing, although I still think it was probably better than Pierre Gasly, um, noting what was going on in the situation, we know that he can perform towards the front. Um, He didn't spin himself around to miss out on those podiums in Brazil and in Austria. That was done by Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, I think from a Williams point of view, it's great. It's great that James Vowles is now there as well. The, the, The direction of the team and the pace of the team is all happening in the right way. And I think that car, it looks a lot faster than it's ever done. And Alex looks like he's got a lot more confidence. And again, I mean, it's hard when you've got, Teams like Ferrari, who have actually come up and shown to shown themselves this weekend with a bit of pace, Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Red Bull ahead of you. Realistically, the best you can expect is sort of that eighth, ninth, and tenth. So for him to be constantly trying to push that that boundary, I think is fantastic for for the team as a whole. Absolutely. Speaking of Aston Martin, Alonso in sixth, Stroll in eighth. They did seem to get their DRS back up and running for the sprint race, which was good to see. I mean, if they had been if they had performed that highly across the course of a sprint and not had DRS, it would have been extremely impressive. Um, it was already impressive enough what they were able to do in that qualifying session. Um, what do you think? Do you reckon Alonso will be fighting to make it into? you know, the podium like he's been able to achieve earlier this season or is he going to have more of a battle with with signs for kind of fifth, sixth? Yeah, to me it doesn't seem like the Aston Martin has the strength that it had in the first three rounds compared mm. to Ferrari and I'm not sure if that's Ferrari bringing upgrades um, or if it, this is a track-specific event. But certainly in my mind I think you've got Red Bulls at the front uh, really with Ferraris in that second position clearly for me. Um, I think it's Mercedes that they'll have the biggest issue with and George Russell and, and Fernando Alonso will probably be the two that sort of have that kind of maybe battle. Um, and you can watch it on the Sky News Battle Channel, <laughs> which um, I assume just only shows footage from 1945. Um, but I think from from that point of view, yeah, it's and it's almost it's disappointing because it seems like Aston Martin sort of run out a bit of steam, but for the reasons that you said in terms of not working DRS and other things going on, who knows? Uh, but uh, maybe they're saving something up for today. Mercedes, as you mentioned, is going to be in there as a battle with them. And then they've got um, you know Alonso in sixth, Hamilton in seventh, and then Stroll in eighth. So I'm very intrigued to see, um, yeah, I suppose how they how they line up tomorrow. Um, with given that that was their finishing order today, um, but Mercedes, we had Russell in fourth and Hamilton in seventh. Let's start with Russell. The obvious, uh, you know, issue of the morning. What are your thoughts? And then I'll give you mine. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think I read a lot of like, oh, come on, Max, pull your head in. You know, you've even written here, grow up. But <laughs> I, I don't, I actually don't think this was unwarranted. If there's a tap and maybe you lose a little bit of control or whatever else, fine. But when you physically, you know, damage the car, I think it's a it's a different kind of conversation. I think Max would have been frustrated anyway in his in where he was, but it, clearly he's the fastest driver in the fastest car on the grid at the moment. And the fact that he couldn't make it past Charles and then catch up to Sergio meant that there was obviously something wrong. And we didn't see 
what was actually wrong until he was parked up in that behind the number three and you could see the significant size of the hole. And I think when he got out and he saw that, there was just a lot of this pent-up rage. I, I mean, the fact that he had the conversation with George and you know, George just wanted to keep walking and get out of the way is one thing. And, yeah, he brought it up again at, um, with Naomi Schiff in there as well. But, I mean, you can be frustrated. These, these guys want to bloody win and he wants to win convincingly all of the time. Uh, I mean, I think the gro- he's already done the growing up. If you, if you rewind and done that same situation five years ago, he would have been much worse and I think more explosive. Um, it, do I think it, anything really should have been done about it? No, because it's the first lap. We talk about this as well. Um, so is Max being angry valid? Yes. Is George not getting a penalty for that incident valid? Yes, because it's still turn one. You know, sorry, turn one, still lap one going into the second turn. And so I think that's that's fair enough. But... I mean, the the real thing is that George was up there fighting with him in the first place, which I think is a good thing for Mercedes considering how it was all sinking ship, everyone abandoned it, and Toto was trying to push Lewis out himself to try and save him some face. Yes. So, like, I agree with most of it <laughs> in that, as you said, like lap one incident, I think it was just, like, you know, it's, it's a racing incident. And there's plenty of times where Max has said, oh, it was a racing incident, not even for a penalty when it's benefited him. I think it's amazing how quickly people kind of turn around and say, I've been hard done by um, when it's not in in their favour. The bit which actually irritated me is not so much that question of, you know, kind of who's to blame or was it, um, should have had a penalty or anything else. It was Max's response afterwards. And like you said, maybe that would have been more significant five years ago. However, George Russell gave a completely, like a very clear explanation and he actually apologised. So he said, oh, you know, sorry, mate, no grip, locked up, didn't mean to. It's not as though that was a deliberate, I'm going to squeeze this guy into the wall and give him nowhere to go. That wasn't his his aim and it's not what how his car, and you look at the, the replays, it's not how his car was behaving either in terms of the intention of the drive. For Max to then respond to that in terms of going, yeah, well, none of us had any grip and you're a dickhead, like, that's not how you respond to somebody who is saying, I'm sorry, you know, didn't mean to. You don't turn around and say, well, we never mean to, mate, blah, 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 blah. You go, he's put out a, an olive branch here, bloody take it. And that's why I said grow up because, and, and the other thing is you just go, there have been so many more like worse situations that haven't had a, you know, a, um, a penalty afterwards or whatever. And two things. One, I think if he hadn't seen the damage, would his response has have been as aggressive? You know, I know that they were going on about it through the throughout the race, and Christian Horner and his passive aggressive comments are hilarious, very like classic Karen. But it's yeah, if he hadn't seen that hole, would he have been as annoyed or kind of aggressive in his comments afterwards is one question. I felt for Naomi Schiff, I really did, in that moment when she was asking him about the car because she couldn't see from where she was standing, she couldn't actually see the damage on the car and obviously he'd been inspecting it closely and then so then she turned around and said, is there any damage? And he almost did a bit of a like, well, duh, kind of situation but like she can't, she couldn't see it. So I kind of felt for her in, in that moment. I think... The other thing going on for Verstappen at the moment is that he's worried about Perez. He actually has a bit of a championship dilemma here where 
Perez is doing exactly what he needs to do as a, you know, second driver at the moment. And I think that has Max a little bit on edge and he's a bit nervous about Perez's performance, which again is going to push him more towards those emotional responses in situations like this. It's Max Verstappen. I mean, really, like we why would we expect any different? I think this is, you know, I, I don't, Look, I don't see necessarily the the biggest deal with it because it's maybe it's just because he's been worse before, and if it was a standalone incident, maybe it's not not so good. But um, yeah, maybe he is worried about Perez, and I think that's probably a very good shout. More to the point is that the, there is now probably pressure there where there hasn't been pressure since you know Azerbaijan twenty eighteen, Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen smashing both of the cars together. <laughs> Oh, dear. Yes. And oh, it's just an interesting one. We haven't had that much um, or I suppose that many kind of driver incidents like in the in this way for a little while. So it's a bit um, interesting when you do see these kind of little blow-ups. Um, moving on to Ferrari. They got something right, I feel, today in that she had Leclerc in second. He got there. He held on to it. He knew when he couldn't held on, hold on to the pace um, and then but then held on um, to – Perez pretty well for the most part. I mean, obviously he he did have a, a solid lead, but um, he didn't kind of, you know, just keep falling back and back and he did what he needed to do and held on to second. Signs seems to be struggling this weekend um, and he's kind of said that there's something going on that he haven't quite got to the bottom two with his setup and obviously they couldn't do anything about that. Um, so I think it will be, yeah, not sure what they're going to be able to do about it tomorrow, but this was a bit of a win that uh, in a certain way that Ferrari needed. Yeah, I think, I mean, so long as... There's no damage to the car. I think Charles is probably in for third for for this weekend for the race. Um, Yeah, he was able to hold on to Sergio. I can't help thinking if Sergio was kind of coasting a little bit and just saving Mm. the car for Sunday. Uh, And as discussed, I mean, Max couldn't get up on top of him because of the hole in the in the side pod and that affects the arrow of the car. So I think for, for Charles, yeah, I mean, it, they took advantage of the situation. There was no strategy call to stuff up for Ferrari. So, I mean, when you remove the external factors and you just leave Charles alone, there you go. That's what happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is still plenty of time for them to stuff this up for both of them, but I hope that that doesn't happen purely for the Tifosi, if nothing else. <laughs> they just can't handle another weekend like this. And, of course, we do have Red Bull finally up the front. We had Verstappen finishing in third and Perez who held on to that lead pretty comfortably in first. You're probably right there, I think, when it when he had a clear lead, um, therefore not really pushing as much as he might have need to or had to and just making sure he looked after the car for our full race event. So we've got a full race tomorrow. We've done with our sprint shootout race, not race, Pretend race, what's the point? Um, what are your predictions, James? We've got uh, for our starting grid, Leclerc, Verstappen, Perez, Sainz, and then we move back to Hamilton, Alonso, Norris, Sonoda, Stroll and Piastri is our top ten. What do you think? It'll be Verstappen, Perez and Leclerc. I think Sainz will suffer some kind of Ferrari strategy problem and he'll end up in ninth or eighth or something like that. I think Fernando Alonso will be trying his best to push past the Mercedes as quickly as he can and stay there Um, because noting their kind of pace at the moment, I imagine potentially George might get a pretty decent start. But I think from a podium point of view, it'll be (laughs) 
exactly what we saw today, which is exactly <laughs> what we saw last year and um, maybe the year before. Who knows? I can't remember. It's, uh, it's, very, it's very Red Bull dominated with let's insert another team here. But it's good that Ferrari maybe bring that pace, although I would prefer to see Fernando Alonso to continue to be on that podium just to keep in touch with potentially winning the World Drivers' Championship if something was to happen to Max and Checo. It's a dream that we dare to dream, James, that uh, Alonso manages to, to hold on to and get another championship. Although I do wish he was doing it for another team because there's something about Aston Martin that just grinds my gears. I don't like Lawrence Stroll. Anyway, um, I think you're right and I, it's just hard to see how anyone can really do anything when you've got Verstappen and Perez on the first and second row of the grid. As, as we've seen them work together as well, um, if anything, it'll be whether Verstappen can get over his grudges and actually, you know, help him out if Perez does manage to get in front or anything like that. That's going to be another kind of dilemma that they might have to deal with. But I think you're probably right. I am on the Checo bandwagon at the moment, um, even though I do feel like that is dangerous as a Daniel Ricciardo fan. But because of that, I'm going to go for Perez podium, uh, Leclerc second, and then Verstappen kicking the third step. As long as all of his tyres stay intact in this Grand Prix. Yes, indeed. Unlike Yuki Sonoda's and trundling down by itself. Didn't realise how steep it is. Amazing. All right, that's it for our sprint review. Thanks for joining me, James, and enjoy your all your racing viewing. Thank you, and thank you to the Steel Drums for uh, making an appearance in the background <laughs> of all of your audio too. <laughs> Anytime. What is Beyonce for if not for being performed on a steel drum? I often ask myself that question. I think you do. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.